So I thought I'd talk a, a little bit tonight about refuge, about this going for refuge that we do in this uh, formal ritualistic way, kind of the way we open up retreats, but certainly the way we um, practice uh, as well, uh, how we gear our lives. And there's a, there's a conventional or mundane understanding of going for refuge, and, and this involves kind of going to the historical Buddha uh, as our teacher, uh, maybe immersing ourselves in the teachings, particularly the Pali Canon, the various uh, books of the Dhamma that have been brought down through the ages, and, and even turning to um, mon- the monastic community, uh, entering the monastic community for training. This, this is the, the formal or, um, say, the conventional way that we describe uh, going to the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Uh, but there's also a subtler or a transcendent level of going for refuge. And I really like to reflect on this and uh, offer it as some of reflections because I see it very much as something that not only parallels our practice, our day-to-day practice, our moment-to-moment practice, but in a manner of speaking, it actually is our practice when you uh, understand what's being said here. Uh, it, it really is, uh, it parallels the, uh, the, the rudiments of insight practice. So, uh, tonight I'd just like to look at that, look at this more subtle or transcendent level of going for refuge. So refuge in the Buddha at this level um, involves uh, making the effort to to be with our experience from the the perspective of the Buddha, uh, to be with our experience in in a way uh, from the knowing, the, the basic knowing. We talk about the Buddha as kind of the knower of the worlds, and uh, you, know, you can hold it in that way. And I think it's better said to look at it as the knowing itself. It, it's finding that knowing in our experience from moment to moment, and in a way resting there. And this constitutes a, a radical shift in our usual mode. You know, what you see as a meditator, and this is no news to any of you in this room, I'm sure, uh, is, is that we're completely preoccupied with what are really the objects of the mind. They're the things that are known and, and not uh, resting in the knowing of that particularly. So we're preoccupied with what's happening with the body and mind. Uh, and this is that what's going on internally, looking at what's happening at the five physical sense doors, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the taste, the sensations. Uh, and then also uh, the mind, uh, being preoccupied with thoughts and feelings and the moods of the mind. Uh, and what's coming at us from the external world. So it's not just what's going on internally, but what's coming at us and what we're doing with that. And usually what our experience is, is kind of like automatic pilot, at least for me it is. You know, we're just uh, uh, automatically grabbing hold of everything that comes into the body and mind, into the field of our awareness, and then going on about it going on and on about it in one way or another. And, you know, most of us have felt the pain of that. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a brutal experience to see ourselves do this over and over and over again and to live in this reality. And we may really want to break out of that tendency, but, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that often we can barely see it, let alone do what needs to be done to break the habit of going with that uh, repeatedly. You know, one of the ways that I see it is that, you know, one is at the mercy of our habits and patterns of mind. The way that we've always related to things is the way we keep relating to them. And in a way we get blindsided by our own karmic patterns. 
You know, you find you. you I love the people talk about uh, uh, practice as the before, during, and after, and trying to come in on it somewhere in, in some some semblance of the before, or at least the during. But usually, the reality is that we're always or often coming in after things are all done, and the karmic pattern or habit of mind has been grabbed, and we've been lost in it for a while. So that can sound like bad news, and maybe maybe it is on on one level. You know, I remember this uh, thing we used to say at IMS years ago that self knowledge is always bad news. <laughs> you know, and that's a lot of what we're doing here is seeing this habit, these habits of our mind, and, and so yeah, that's the humor of it. But but still. Um, uh, I just invite us to look and see. If you look closely, even in the midst of all of that, even while all of that is happening, while we're tangled up in one way or another, there's this bit in here that knows that's happening. Isn't there? It's, it's, it's quiet, it's subtle. I often feel it as like that, that still quiet voice in the, somewhere in the back of my mind. And uh, it's just that I, I don't have the habit of resting in my experience from that vantage point. You know, the habit is to be caught up in the tangle that is known from that vantage point. And so what we're trying to do is shift that orientation. You know, the the Buddha is the knower of the worlds. It's not the thinker of the worlds. You know, it's not the judger or the criticizer of the worlds uh, or, or the one who's caught up in the world or, or who has, has a lot of opinions or views about what's going on. You know, that, that's a, a, a nasty habit of the mind. Uh, it's the knowing itself. So refuge in Buddha is resting in that capacity to know. And it's, it's, it's a fabulous uh, uh, sort of byproduct or aspect of this human birth. That is there in all of us. And the, the trick is to become aware of it uh, and, and to find a way to rest in it more fully than uh, to uh, persist in being preoccupied with the things that it knows. And you can feel the tension in that, just the, the, the pain of having to do that all the time. I, I don't know, there, there's something that's just totally receptive and, and non-judgmental about refuge in Buddha. You know, if you can feel that. It's just to know what's happening in the body and mind. And knowing all the aches and pains and the physical form, knowing the habits and patterns of this mind and, and the consequences even of getting tangled up in it. Even if we're coming in on it after everything is said and done. What's that like? You know, freeze-framing that moment and feeling what that's like. Uh, but doing this without getting caught up in it, without hating it, without in any way being averse to it, uh, without any kind of comment or criticism or judgment about what it is that is being known. I, I don't know what that does to you, but uh, you know, to me, I just, just the prospects of being able to do that is a huge relief, let alone the actual experience of being able to do that. In Dzogchen, they call this um, sitting in your royal seat. And I love that. It's like uh, uh, you, are, you imagine royalty kind of sitting on the throne, standing back from experience and watching, watching the parade go by. You know, it actually has that quality to it. So I think that thing that uh, they say in Dzogchen is very apt. Just being able to see and know 
and not having anything to say. It's like sitting there fanning yourself (laughs) while it's happening. So one is situated in this place of knowing and it's a very soft and, and subtle place in the heart. It's kind of like the container or the space in which things are happening. You know, in, instead of being caught up in everything that uh, we, we're aware of, um, it, it's like sort of settling into the space in which it's all happening. You know, I was talking to somebody about this in uh, one of our um, uh, Dhamma discussions today. Just uh, standing, it's kind of like standing in this wide open field. And, and everything, the breath, the sensations, the aches, the pains, the thoughts, all of it, they're sort of like little burps rising up in that field. You know, they aren't the dominant feature of the experience as they are when we're uh, not able to sit in this Buddha place in relation to them. You know, it, it, the, the Buddha starts to become more dominant. You know, I, I, I saw it one time as sort of like this, uh, this experience of... of uh, shifting, uh, you know, you know how you have those little icons on your computer screen, and uh, there's the there's what's on the screen, and then there's this icon down below, and and you click on that icon, and suddenly it's the dominant feature of what's happening, right? Uh, and it's like that, where uh, this knowing, this knowing awareness, which is always there, it's always been on the screen, <laughs> but it's quiet, it's back in the corner, it's a little tiny little dot uh, on the screen, and suddenly it uh, moves dominant, it takes over, and becomes the, the, the full experience of what it is that, that uh, uh, we are experiencing. So I love that, if you can feel that, it's a, it's a powerful um, image. You know, we're letting everything, sensations, feelings, and thoughts, just arise and pass away in the field of awareness. And uh, it's not that you never act in the world. We certainly do act in the world. But it's really recognizing, um, uh, it's more that we're acting from this vantage point, from this quiet, still, knowing awareness. And as I was saying this, this morning, this capacity to stand free, it sets us up for insight. It's the stuff that is setting us up for insight. You, you can't see or understand the nature of things as long as we're tangled up in them. You know, it, we, we're caught constantly in the arisings of the body and mind. And something has to shift, something's got to give, because you can't see uh, when we're caught in that way. You know, it's kind of like a fish that doesn't know it's in the water. You know, it, it, the water is everywhere. It's every part of its experience. We, it's, like a, it's like that for us. We don't know our own experience because we're so completely and utterly in it. And, and refuge in Buddha involves making that shift to where uh, something is beginning to move outside and looking on. Oh, this is so, it's such a powerful experience to be able to feel that shift. And from this perspective, from the perspective of the knowing, and only really from that perspective can we see the the true nature of our experience. You know, the way that things are. The the Buddha means awake. The one who is awake, it's wakefulness. And and when we go to the Buddha for refuge, we settle into that, into that kind of awareness. It's it's, uh, incredibly freeing. And you begin to see, by contrast, what all that tangle has been about. But standing back and looking at it. 
So, you know, the task here then as practitioners is to see if we can notice this knowing within. You know, look right now. Just see if you can get a sense of that. And it's, it's there. It's always knowing what's happening. And it doesn't have any view about it. It doesn't have anything to say about it. It's just plain and simple awareness of, of what is happening. And the task, it's kind, of, it's kind of elusive at times, but the task is to try to rest in that. If you feel that knowing and rest in that. It's like to, to do it, I almost feel like I have to get very quiet within. <laughs> Samadhi is a huge support for this. Uh, and it, it's, like, uh, it's like a whisper. Finding the knowing, resting in that, and being in life from that vantage point. It's there. It's always there. That's what's amazing about it. It's part of the uh, beauty of this human birth. But it's just not our habit to be in life from that vantage point. Uh, And so we train, you know, and and, uh, train to to rest in the knowing itself and and see what it's like. What's that like for us? And, And that's what we're doing here. You know, we may not always think about practice in this way, but that's what we're, that's a, a good chunk of what we're doing here, is trying to make that Buddha the dominant feature of our experience. So a refuge in Dhamma then. Uh, this um, involves refuge in, in the direct experience of the way that things are in any given moment. Uh, and there's two ways that we might talk about this. Uh, the most simple, I think, and, and immediate is to realize the way that things are in any given moment. Just to, as we uh, go about our day uh, here practicing and throughout our lives, just to notice it, you know, you sort of ask yourself the question, how is it? How is it now? What's happening now? And, and allow ourselves just to settle into the experience of that reality. And in, in this process, then, you become aware of the mind that, that uh, doesn't like the way that things are, <laughs> doesn't want them to be that way, you know, wants them to be some other way. And, and the Buddha went right to this in the teaching on the Noble Truth. His, his first talk and the first Noble Truth, the first thing that he says, uh, includes this litany of things that constitute dukkha that constitute our suffering. And uh, part of that litany is associating with things that we don't like, being separated from things that we like, not getting what we want. And and this is part of, as I said, this is part of the definition of dukkha. And the unawakened mind is engaged in a battle with that. It, It just doesn't want things to be that way. It wants things to be some way other than the way that they actually are. And so a lot of practice is, is really training ourselves to see and to open to the way that things are. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a tough one because uh, the way that things are uh, aren't always pleasant. And, but, but do it. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to just, that all this incessant coming back to the breath, coming back to the, is, is really coming back to the way that it is coming back to this moment and the way that it is. And so being able to do that may not sound like much, but again, it's a radical shift in, in how we're uh, experiencing life. You know, in this kind of uh, experience, we're no longer preoccupied 
uh, with what's happening in the body and mind or with uh, the things that are going on in our lives. Instead, we're simply aware. Uh, And we're with it in things as they are. I feel that. And you can feel, just just trying to touch that, you can feel how the battle gets raging. It doesn't want things to be the way that they are. So this capacity just to refu- uh, uh, rest in things as they are is refuge in Dhamma. It's, it's refuge in the way that things actually are, not the way we wish or hope or want them to be. Now, this includes a capacity to be with ourselves as we are. Now, this is a huge one, you know, I wanted to zero in on this specifically because we have to find a way to clearly see and open to the way that we are and to stop quarreling with that. You know, as a Dhamma teacher, this is one of the, the painful aspects of being a Dhamma teacher, really, is just to witness, certainly in my own heart and mind, but how much people are quarreling with the way that they are, just wanting to be some way other than the way that they are. And, and this can be uh, quite difficult to try to settle out of that, but it, it's not be. It's not because that uh, the way that we are is so horrible, you know, and, and we have difficulty being with that. It's not that. It's rather it's difficult because we don't like the way that we are and we beat up on ourselves when we see the way that we are and, uh, and then believe our self-denigrating thoughts and get lost in all of that. It's, it's a, really a cruel setup that self-view establishes in the mind. But there it is. And and in our practice with uh, mindfulness of mind, you know, the third satipatthana, uh, we're trying to see the mind uh, as it is, see thoughts as thoughts, being able to see the the moods and the states that come into the mind. And and granted, most of us can do that with certain kinds of things. But these thoughts that have to do with the way I am, or, you know, uh, how I am, those thoughts we always believe. We almost always believe those and get tangled and caught up in them. You can almost feel this sense of self battling with itself. It's like it's a, it's, it's, it doesn't even realize that it just constructed who we are and then it goes on about, sets about hating it. You know? <laughs> it, it's amazing phenomenon. So at, at the base of all of this is, is this idea that there's a right way to be. This is deadly. This is such a deadly notion in the mind. Uh, and Because what goes along with it is there's a right way to be and I'm not being it. <laughs> you know, There's a right way to be and I'm not being it. So when we are the way that we actually are, it becomes the cause or the setup for this kind of beating up on ourselves or, or self-loathing. And, and there's a, a tremendous amount of pain associated with this kind of response. Refuge in Dhamma really uh, means waking up to the possibility, let's say even the high probability, (laughs) that there isn't a right way to be. That there isn't a right way to be. And and just learning to rest instead in the way that we are. You know, as as practitioners, I saw it this way a number of years ago. It's it's like we, we have to ask ourselves, some very important questions. You know, the first of which is, what if there isn't any right way to be? 
what if there isn't any right way to be? And what if the way that we are is just fine? <laughs> it's like, ah. <laughs> you can feel the, the, the mind wanting to struggle with that. And, and, and what if the, the only problem here is that I think there's a problem. You know, there's something that needs to be fixed, something needs to be done about this. And, and, and really, what if all the battling that goes on internally in this regard uh, is actually the very stuff that keeps that pattern locked in? That, that in, in a way, ensures the return. So you can see how we're at counter-purposes with ourselves when uh, we go into battle with ourselves in this way. You know, you see it in yourself. I certainly see it in myself. We tend to be very hard on ourselves and very hard on other people. And not realizing that berating ourselves and, and uh, beating up on others, it doesn't change anything. <laughs> you know, in the end, we're the only ones that are suffering with all of this. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't actually affect the change that it purports to be doing. You know, that this is, again, the, one of the persnickety aspects of the self-view. Uh, it, it, it thinks it's in charge. When it sees something that is painful or difficult, it wants to fix it. It wants to make it better. And yet that very motion or that very action in the mind is the stuff that keeps it locked in, that ensures that we will remain that way. Because any uh, experience that, that is re- related to with greed, hatred, or delusion persists. You know, and that's what we're doing in those kinds of moments. So uh, we have to learn how to open to ourselves and, and to open to each other, you know, warts and all. I, I, I observe over the years of practice that these kind of happen simultaneously. You know, the more that we can open to ourselves or as we open to ourselves, we open to uh, what other people are doing as well. It's really beautiful. And this is refuge in Dhamma, refuge in the way that it is, refuge in the way that we are. And... and um, there's a trust in that. You know, I, I, I love this. The, the, the trust is that um, in, instead of having all kinds of ideas and notions about a right way to be and trying to become that, that this practice is about seeing the way that it is, opening to the way that we are, and discerning from within that um, if it serves us. That's all. You can't have any judgment or criticism about that and still be able to make that discernment. You know, if you can feel that, we have to be able to just um, open to and receive our karma. Receive the way that we are. And be there for the before, during, and after of that. And trust. This is where the trust comes in. You have to, I don't know about you, but it took me a while to trust that process of practice. That it really is about discerning from within experience. That this whole system is hardwired to take that direct experience and um, sort of align itself with goodness. Watch it. And, and to see that, the truth of that, we all see the truth of that for ourselves. And this is refuge in Dhamma. This is getting aligned with the way it is and trusting that the direct experience of the way it is will uh, facilitate the sorting out that needs to happen.
So the the, uh, the ultimate level of, of refuge in Dhamma really involves seeing um, the three characteristics, seeing anicca, dukkha, and anatta for ourselves, you know, the impermanent, unsatisfactory, and selfless nature of things. And insight into these three, as we all know, it, it forms the, the core teaching uh, of Buddhism in, in all the traditions, in all the different branches of Buddhism. It's the central agenda of insight meditation. It's what we're doing here, is trying to garner insight into these uh, characteristics of all mental and physical phenomenon. We're, we're practicing to awaken to these. And the Buddha says that when it comes to really understanding the way that things are, we've got it upside down <laughs> and backwards. There's a wonderful sutta called the inversions, it's sometimes called the distortions of perception. And, and basically saying that we're, we perceive things that are um, impermanent as permanent. We perceive things that are unsatisfactory as satisfactory. Uh, we perceive things that are non-self as self. And, and this uh, is, in fact, um, where we get stuck. This is the, where we get stuck in these distortions of perception. And I've, I've seen this to be true, haven't you? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's an observable a phenomenon. It's an observable fact. Uh, no matter what we're talking about, and no matter what life struggle we might find ourselves in, no, no matter how or aware we're suffering in one way or another, one of these distortions is at the heart of it. <laughs> and that's it. this falls into the category of don't believe that. <laughs> Look and see. Uh, see for ourselves. Uh, I, I guarantee you, you know, if we're suffering in one way or another, we're wanting things to be known that aren't known. We're wanting things to be certain that aren't certain. We're wanting to have control over things that we don't have control over. <laughs> We're wanting things that are on, 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 unpleasant not to be so. We're wanting to make it different than it is. And, and uh, that, that's the agenda, is to be able to see this for ourselves and wake up to that. This is a lot of the waking up of practice. But, you know, just naming these characteristics of life, you know, anicca, dukkha, and anatta, they can feel like really harsh and heavy realities. And, and uh, I know just for myself, just the first re- reflections on these, or let alone seeing them out in my life, I could almost feel my internal uh, being just screaming <laughs> in the presence of it. No, <laughs> I don't want it to be that way. I want it to be some other way. I want it to be subject to my control, certain, known, and pleasant all the time. <laughs> you can see the setup. And, and the battle here. And yet, um, what we see over the years of practice is that opening to these truths uh, is more accurately experienced as a lightening up. You know, I often say, I, I can't believe how happy I am since I, I'm garnering insight into dukkha. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? <laughs> Go figure. But it's true, isn't it? You know, the, the more we get the truth of dukkha, for example, the, the less we are engaged in battle with the unnecessary aspect of our experience as human beings. And so at least that much is gone. At least the battle is over. Yeah, you're left with the dukkha, but it's better, it's better that way. <laughs> you know? It's better to just kind of rest in that experience and no dukkha. 
you know, in, in Buddhism we talk about the, the five hindrances and there's certainly a lot to be said about the, the hindrances. You know, the, the suffering states of longing and resistance and sloth and restlessness and doubt and confusion. But over the years, one of the kind of insights that comes in the back door, at least for me it did, was, um, you know, you begin to realize that the, these five hindrances are, are nothing more I like to call them that the unawakened mind's best guess as to what to do about anicca, dukkha, and anatta. You know, they're, they're like a defense. They're a defense mechanism. Uh, it, it's, it, it's like, and it really is, is an interesting reflection too on the delusion of this mind, you know. When you think about it, it's like things are difficult and this mind says, well, worry about it, that'll help. You know, <laughs> or, or fight it or hate it or you know, long for something else, long for it to be some other way. You know, you just scratch the surface of this stuff and you can see the, the, the foolishness of it. But there it is. And that's what we've been doing. That's what we've been caught in. Who knows how long, you know. Certainly the bulk of this lifetime, if not many before. And, and, and so we begin to see this, begin to see this construct of the unawakened mind, what it sets up as a defense against the nietzsche, dukkha, and anatta, and how that very defense uh, constitutes or compounds our suffering. It is our suffering in and of itself, and it makes it all a whole lot worse. It doesn't make anything any better. But that's what we're stuck in. This is the the delusion of the unawakened mind. And I don't know, I kind of like just kind of Letting that penetrate, you know, the, the blah, 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 kind of thing about it, and being a, an unawake, ordinary human being, it is okay. You know, make peace with that. That's what this unawakened mind does, uh, and we and uh, we want to see it. And and refuge in Dhamma helps us to see that. So the the truth of the matter is that there is no protection against anicca, dukkha, and anatta. There's no buffer. There's no escape. Sorry. <laughs> it's a rude awakening. But, as I said, uh, it is a liberating one. Settling into these realities is, is, a, is a very... It's a, it's a twisted paradox of practice, I think. You, you find um, yourself relaxing more around life. You know, this is the way it is at times. And, and, the, and the battles can uh, be relinquished. You know, because the truth of the matter is that we're, we're very vulnerable. We always have been. We always will be. And in a way, um, our practice is asking us to turn to that reality and, and to um, touch our helplessness in the face of it. Just to touch that. And, 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 and in a way, face that and make peace with it. You you know you you see people who are waking up in practice getting these these um, kind of angelic serene smiles on their faces you know <laughs> and a lot of it is just proceeding from getting this it's twisted but it is possible to unpack and to see for ourselves so o- over over time what happens uh, is that you know you begin to realize that. Um, waking up to our vulnerability, letting anicca, dukkha, and anatta be the way that it is. Let them be the truth about our experience. 
then that's better. That's better than fighting it. That's better than pulling out the sword and going to battle with it all the time. You know, in, in a way, it, it's better just to say yes. Oh, okay. That's the way it is. Okay. I can live with that. Literally, I can live with that. That's taking refuge in Dhamma. This is taking refuge in the way it is. So just as we practice here this month, just taking note of those moments when you're battling with things as they are. This is what we want to see. You don't want to go into the battle over the fact that you're battling. This is actually what we want to see and relax into that. And, and, and take note when we're at peace uh, with things. Take both of these. And, and in a way, what you do over the years of practice is serve them both up to the mind. This is what it's like when I'm okay with an Ichiduka and Anatta. <laughs> this is what it's like when I'm not. No judgment, no criticism, no forcing a decision or conclusion about any of that. Just serve it up to the mind and, and let it figure it out. This mind is not stupid. It'll figure it out. It just needs to see the raw fundamental experience that we're, we find ourselves in. And it'll sort it out. <laughs> So uh, the last one, refuge in Sangha. This is really interesting. and This involves, uh, literally at this transcendent level, it involves practicing, literally, so as to rank ourselves among the Arya Sangha. And that means among those who are, have realized peace, as we say in the recollection of the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Those who have uh, realized uh, one level or another of the four stages of awakening, or are on the brink of doing so. These are four pairs, the eight kinds of noble beings. So what this is saying then is, is, uh, this is all about uh, practicing for stream entry, practicing at least for the first stage of awakening. You know, that's presumably what we're all working with. And I'm going to be talking about this during the, the coming month. But, but how do we do that? How do we, what's the uh, uh, support that we have for, for waking up to that? And in a practical way, I, I think it really means um, turning to the Buddha and turning to our contemporary teachers, um, uh, those of, that we've been turning to throughout the years of our practice and who have some understanding. Uh, maybe maybe uh, some t- uh, our teachers are just a little bit further on the path, maybe more maybe a lot further on the path, but we turn to them. We turn to people who have some level of understanding. Primarily, this is the Buddha. there's no question about that, but we have contemporary teachers and teachers through the ages that we can keep turning to all these wonderful books and uh, you know teachings that appear on the internet. Uh, and real-life people that we can turn to. You know, because waking up is like an apprenticeship, I think. You know, it's like giving yourself over to be trained. That's how the Buddha described it, is is, uh, uh, training those who have a willingness to be trained. And I I asked myself at some point, you know, is that there? Is that in my heart? Do I have that willingness to give myself over to be trained? And we give ourselves over to people that we trust uh, and to each other in a way. 
And, and Theravada Buddhism um, is, uh, the, the actual translation of that is the way of the elders, the, the way of the elders. And it's, I often just always thought about that as the, those who um, laid out uh, the teachings at the time of the Buddha or soon after the Buddha. They were the elders. They put it all um, to song in a way, to, uh, to uh, committed it to memory uh, so that it could be recorded later on and passed on down to us. Uh, and, and that's true, but it, it's also about uh, learning from our um, current day teachers. And they help us. And yes, ultimately, we have to verify for ourselves uh, the truth of the Dhamma. We have to all, all go through this. It's, it's kind of the, the good news and the bad news of practice. You know, basically, we have to do what the Buddha did. You know, that can sound mind-boggling. That can sound... Uh, unbelievably difficult but it's not like we're doing it alone <laughs> you know we have each other we have support we have the, the many years of people who have gone before us and many of whom have awakened and have uh, passed on their knowledge and understanding through the ages you know and really uh, I, I like to think of it of all of us sitting here in this room as um, a direct link to the Buddha, that we are the direct descendants of this teaching. It has come to us through the Sangha, through the people who have practiced, realized various uh, stages of awakening, and taught, and passed it on. Uh, and, and so uh, that's, uh, we can rely on that. We have a huge amount of support in that. But we have to know that there's going to be long periods in our own lives and in our practice where we, we ourselves may not know. <laughs> you know, we have faith. We have a lot of faith um, and we rely on the guidance of others. And so we do that. And this is, to me, this is a lot of um, refuge in Sangha. So, <laughs> refuge in Sangha, lay our heads down uh, on each other and on our teachers and and be willing to be taught, to receive the Dhamma. So what does it look like? What does refuge in Sangha look like in our everyday lives? Well, one aspect of stream entry, for example, is um, a, an impeccable uh, sila, uh, one who has uh, really taken to heart these wonderful precepts that we live by and applied oneself wholeheartedly to uh, not just think about these, and, and, uh, but to really move ourselves in the direction through uh, our resolve, through restraint, and through opening to what it's like to not have good sila, um, to the combination of all of that, to really, uh, in a way, clean up our act. <laughs> you know, uh, move us in the direction of really, really um, skillful living. Uh, and to me, this has everything to do with sangha. You know, the refuge in sangha. You know, over the months and years of, of practice, we work with these five precepts and, and we see for ourselves very directly the harm uh, of unskillful actions through body, speech, and mind. And because we uh, understand the, the harm of judging or criticizing that, but just to actually get in there and feel it, then uh, this, over the, over the years, the months and years of practice, this does its magic on the heart. It starts to align behaviors 
actions through body, speech, and mind with these very, very skillful motivations and arisings in our hearts. You know, increasingly, you watch over the years of practice how the mind starts to withdraw from harm. It's, and it does it automatically. It's so exciting when you start to see this happen of its own accord. It's like sometimes I often feel it like there's a, like a force field around the doing of harm. And um, I might still have the arising of going in that direction. But something, it's like right at the moment where you're actually uh, about to behave badly, it's like somebody throws the switch. You know, and the whole thing goes in another direction. You know, have you seen that? It's, it's, it's really beautiful. And you want to notice those kinds of moments where this system is getting so aligned that it's automatically turning in the direction of goodness, automatically aligned with that uh, innate, innate goodness of heart. Very exciting um, awakening. And, and really the fruit of having taken refuge in Sangha for many, many years. So our, our task then, part of it, is to take those fruits to heart. Don't miss those moments. These are powerful, rich, happy, happy moments uh, in our experience. Just soak in them and, and let our natural goodness uh, penetrate our psyches. Just let it in there. Feel it as deeply as we can. And, and thus, uh, over the years, we've become increasingly devoted to that kind of goodness. And taking refuge in the skillful. This is what Refuge in Sangha is about. So as, as we practice here this month, just uh, take note of those moments when you're lost in, in one way or another in some difficult state of mind. Maybe it's a vendetta, or maybe it's a, some self-denigrating thought or another, or some harm uh, that we've experienced or that we've done. You know, and, and just... Uh, you know, maybe the, the wish to indulge or to be averse in one way or another. And, and notice what it's like to go with that. And notice what it's like to stand free. And again, just serving this up to the mind. You know, see what um, it, the experience of, the direct experience of alignment with the skillful is like. And see what it's like when we're not aligned with the skillful. And again, you know, this mind's not stupid. <laughs> Serve it up. It'll, it'll figure it out, you know. And, and, and we can also notice while we're here this, this month, and certainly in our lives in general, just how good it feels to be spending time with people of like mind. You know, people, this is a, this is a, a unique population. It's people who really want to wake up who want to be aligned with goodness, who want to see the truth about the way that things are. It's a, it's a very um, skillful population. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to walk around here and be aware of that. Maybe the, it's a quiet place. You can walk around here all day and hardly see anybody. But sometimes we do, or we hear people, or uh, whatever the contact might be, but to hold that moment and be happy that we have this companionship along the path. So when, when we go for refuge in this way, just to, to, when we go to the refuges, when we chant them, 
just if you're paying attention, if we're applying ourselves, what's happening here is that we're actually nudging ourselves, nudging the mind to remember that this is where we want to be. To the Buddha, I go for refuge. To the Dhamma, I go for refuge. To the Sangha, I go for refuge. And really take that to heart. And I, I find it just very helpful to see this simple act of, of going for refuge in this way. As I said in the beginning, it's, it's uh, not only paralleling our practice, I think it actually is our practice. In, in a manner of speaking, we're endeavoring to know what's happening, to see the way that things actually are, and to align ourselves with the skillful. It's all right there in in going for refuge. So I'll offer this for your reflection tonight. I hope in some way it's useful to you. So let's just sit for a moment. So shall we close with our sharing of blessings? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.